0: As many of us know and experience, runaway drug costs for patients the healthcare industry serves are no longer sustainable, and it is due time for innovators to help put our system back on the right track. In this episode, I sat down with Parm Huntress, the CEO of RX Review, to share his journey and passionate mission of providing solutions to promote cost transparency, improve patient satisfaction, and support data driven medication savings opportunities. With over 20 years of experience in startups focused on consumer and enterprise technology, CARM is well positioned to guide us toward helping doctors help patients receive better medications at a better price right when they need it. Get ready for a powerful and inspiring conversation that will demonstrate that we can reimagine the healthcare industry when we work together. Let's go. Carm, a big welcome to our podcast, my friend.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: Well, given our long, long standing friendship and support of one another through our entrepreneurial journey in the healthcare industry, I am so thrilled to spend some time with you today and for our community to hear your amazing and inspiring story. But before we dive into your important mission and work at RX Review, Carm, a bit of housekeeping for our community. While listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our free online community at PassionatePioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas and to interact with the global ecosystem. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, Carm, it's almost time to learn how your team partners with world-leading health systems to license content and to build and validate specific prescription decision support solutions. But before we dive into all that fun work, important work, we're going to select a randomly chosen question here to get to know you personally. Let's see what comes up. Ooh, favorite meal. Favorite meal and why?
1: I'd really have to probably say sushi. And the reason is, is the social aspect of it. I love the fact that you all just get around a table, you order a bunch of sushi, you share it, you talk about the food. There's just that wonderful social aspect in both, I think, for business and personal. If I have a group of people, it's probably on the top of my list. And plus, sushi is just a really interesting food and the flavors and the uniqueness of it. So that is my favorite meal.
0: I couldn't agree more. I love sushi as well. It's a phenomenal way to, you know, quote unquote, break bread with others. I do miss it though. I will say with the pandemic, what I would give to get around a table and and enjoy some good sushi with friends because that social part of enjoying sushi is such a powerful way to really enjoy that meal. I miss it dearly. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Quick side story on sushi. So last year in 2019, many of our community members know I took a month long sabbatical over to Asia. And one of the stops over there was Tokyo and the sushi there, oh my gosh, it was so good. But it's totally, totally different experience than what we have here stateside. It was dead quiet, and, you know, you'd literally sit around a boat of sushi coming by you, grabbing it, dead quiet, get in, get out. But the (laughs) the food, though, I mean, oh, my gosh, it would melt in your mouth. It was incredible. But totally different experience.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. I
0: can't wait to get back on the road as well. So, well, Carm, thank you for that, and uh, wow. (laughs) wow. We have a lot to cover. You and I have been at it for many years. You know, we're gonna ask you about the journey that is RX Review. It's, you guys have been at it for quite some time now. You guys are, you know, you have arrived. The industry knows exactly who you are, what you're building, how you're moving the industry forward. But Karm, can you take our community back a bit? And it's really both of us going back. There yeah. we were kind of literally having desks next to each other in one of the first co-working spaces here in Colorado called Galvanize, not even really knowing what the heck we were even doing at that time, but starting to get into health tech innovation. So take us back, not only that experience at Galvanize, getting, you know, plugged into the innovation community here in Denver, Colorado, but also the reason why you started Rx review, how it came to be. Take us on that journey, and then we'll start talking after that, all the great work you guys are doing today.
1: Yeah, it's been an incredible journey. So this is, you know, Back in 2013, I really got going with a company, and I moved here to Denver and, you know, was looking for sort of my next startup to start working on. and through some introductions, got introduced to a doctor named Dr. Kevin O'Brien, who's still involved with the company's a pulmonologist down in Centennial. And Kevin, interestingly enough, was really frustrated by sort of high-cost drugs. And he had this really unique experience with his mother who was on a lot of medications and she complained to him about how much money she was spending and he sat down for you know, a half hour or so, went through all her medications and saved her something like $400 a month just by making some adjustments to where she got her meds, the meds she was on and really just optimized it. And he realized there was this really interesting opportunity to do this for patients and back then, you know, sort of cost, the high cost of prescription drugs was just starting to really become a reality for a lot of individuals. And so he went through a process. He did that process. And then he started sort of collecting and documenting all sorts of conditions and the prescriptions you can take for that condition and also the cost, and then sort of rank them by clinical efficacy. And so when I met him over breakfast, you know, down at like an egg and I, uh, which is a little breakfast place here in Denver, He brought this amazing book to me with him of, you know, probably 110 different clinical conditions with all these medications ranked. And it was one of those moments where as an entrepreneur, you open it up and you see, you know, I saw the complexity, I saw the cost disparity, and it was just sort of obvious. I was like, oh my gosh, someone's got to fix this. You know, this is just way too confusing and when you think about comparing that to like an Amazon experience or just online shopping and how transparent and understandable that is, and you just don't have that in prescription drugs. And, and that was really the start of the company. I then got a hot desk at Galvanize, which is this, you know, is or was, depending on what time frame you're talking about, was this great little incubator down in Golden Triangle. So sort of south of downtown. And Mike, that's where you and I met, right? And you had a startup at that time too, and I think you were in the DME space, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how that time flies and the things we've all done over the years. Yeah, well, myself and my co-founder, we were building Med Passage, a platform to directly connect uh, you know procurement managers and surgery centers with device companies to lower the spend. So we were doing some of the work over in the DME space that exactly you guys are working on over at Review, and there we were literally like across the way from each other in these hot desks that galvanize it. What an amazing time.
1: Yeah, it really was. I mean, I think, you know, we were, you know, all of us had kind of come out of the financial crisis and things were starting to get better. And that was such an interesting time at Galvanize. I think the community really came together then. It was just a really amazing time. And I look back at it really fondly, like just, you know, like you said, having each other right next to each other and having those sort of just sidebar conversations and talking about what we're doing and I met so many interesting entrepreneurs at that time. You know, I just had a call this morning with my CEO group, which is seven of us from Galvanize and we're still all going, believe it or not, that we all started there. And so, you know, it it was a really fascinating time in that, you know, we were trying to sort of figure out how to get into and provide cost transparency to consumers and we tackled it in a lot of different ways. You know, we tried going direct-to-consumer, similar to like a good RX. We also tried to do a lot of sort of clinical and cost optimization. And so we actually started off sort of selling a database of clinical and cost information to vendors who needed that information for their providers or doctors. And that was a really interesting journey. You know, I spent days and weekends like constantly reading about the pharmaceutical space and the value chain, it is by far one of the most complex and convoluted spaces where you kind of constantly just sort of say, is this really how it is? (laughs) And how the heck did it end up this way? This is just not sort of a normal supply and demand curve. And I think this is sort of a classic story of bad incentives getting out of hand And the industry got really complex really fast. And you have these weird, you know, you have PBMs and pharmacy benefit managers, you have wholesalers, you have retail, you have payers. Uh, And then somewhere on that value chain, there's this thing called the beneficiary, which is the patient. They don't even call them patients or consumers. They call them beneficiaries. And so, you know, I think that realization of the complexity of the value chain and really diving headfirst was such an interesting time for me. And we spent probably two to three years playing around in the consumer space. And then we really came to some interesting conclusions. I think probably the first aha for me that was pretty massive for the company was really the recognition that you as a consumer aren't really making a prescription decision. Your provider is, your doctor is. You know, they're doing it on behalf of you, which is a really weird Sort of value chain or purchasing experience. Like, try to think in some other part of your life where somebody else makes a purchasing decision for you. I mean, in this case, it's you know it's around a prescription or a drug, so it's a pretty serious decision, and there's a lot of costs that can be tied to prescriptions, especially in today's world with specialty medications. And so that was one of the probably the first major pivot of the company was focusing on point of care, and we got really into point-of-care clinical decision support. So we had some tools that we built that actually embedded in the EHR and were part of the doctor's workflow that sort of looked at the patient's condition and then tried to make recommendations of what would be the best drug. That is an extremely hard (laughs) thing to do in two ways. The first way is that from a clinical standpoint, it's very difficult to sort of in real time make a call on what would be the best prescription due to clinical evidence, you know, variance in efficacy, I mean a lot of other reasons. And then the cost equation is also really hard to kind of figure out and rationalize in that real-time clinical environment. And so we spent about a year or two working on that. And then what was, you know, luck is the intersection of opportunity and preparation. It was one of these moments where What happened was this standard called real-time benefit check, a real-time pharmacy benefit came to market, which is a new standard. It's been around now for three or four years where you can, in real time, say, hey, this patient is going to this pharmacy. What are they going to pay for this drug? And the PBM or the payer will actually come back to you and say, this is what they'll pay. And here's some lower cost options. And believe it or not, this standard's been around since 2006, but it's only this drive towards value and consumer-driven healthcare that's really forced it to come to market.
0: And Karm, was um, that just was really that quick? Really interesting. And quick question there, just for the layperson listening in, was that a policy decision on the federal side? How did that come to be? Yes, it was put in place, like you said, because we got to continue to go towards value. But what were the mechanisms? What
1: were the triggers? Why that occurred? Yeah, I mean, I think there were really probably two things that have been driving it. One, the governing body over pharmacy IT is the NCPDP body. And the technology had finally gotten to a point where this was kind of feasible. And there were some early feasibility studies done with CVS and SureScripts to prove that it was possible. It was a really, you know, the transaction times were really long. And part of that was you have to like go into these claim systems and actually do kind of trial adjudications of like the patient standing at the pharmacy counter about to pay for this. And you have to kind of adjudicate the drug and say, here's your copay. Here's what you're going to pay. And then they proved that that was feasible. And that kind of drove things forward. So there was a technology standard and Humana was one of the first ones that came out to do it. So there was a little bit of vendor push of sort of competitiveness I think of, hey, if we get this to market and we can get cost transparency out the door, that's gonna be great for our members and it's a differentiator to the large self-insured companies we sell to. And then I also think just from a policy perspective, I mean, it's interesting, it got delayed a little bit here, but there is now a mandate in 2021 that all Part D plans have to provide real-time pharmacy benefit capabilities to meet the Part D mandates. And so you really have policy now heading in this direction. And, you know, we've seen some also policy come forward around, you know, hospitals having to provide their list price for, you know, different procedures or labs, imaging, all that stuff. And so I think those things kind of push the industry forward to bring this to market.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that, Carmen. You know, it has been a journey. I mean, as I always love to share with others, that initial group at Galvanized many, many years ago, there's been Incredible organizations from Havenly to Brandfolder, which was recently acquired, to your organization—so yeah. many of our leading tech companies here in Denver that were a part of that ecosystem—and it's so fun to watch to continue to follow the journey of a company, just like an RX review. And you're right—you have been on an amazing journey. I was always so impressed by how much of a student of the game you were. You were right. You were consuming so much content, reading nonstop, trying to figure out this very complex space. So just know that I always look up to you for that because you are the epitome of what an entrepreneur should be and that is to always and continually be a student. Well, let's take it over to the kind of current state now, Carm, again, it's been a long journey, a lot of pivots, as there should be. Any good startup, you got to continue to pivot and adjust and figure out where the opportunity is in the marketplace. So here we are, 2020, also in the midst of a pandemic, where is ours review today and what are you guys focusing on at
1: this moment? Yeah, so I think it is really one of those classic stories. I mean, we ran the company for about two years on about 30 to 69 to 90 days of cash. Sort of classic, horrible, grinding it out, barely, you know, getting cash in the door at Trickle to make payroll. And I never missed payroll. Thank God I, I never had to go through that experience. And as I said, this standard really came to market. 3 4 years ago and then about 2 years ago the industry really started to adopt so we had some of the large payers you know United Healthcare and PBMs like Express Scripts who signed deals with us to bring their real time cost uh, prescription drug cost data into our workflows and then what was really interesting is the EHRs Epic and Cerner the two largest in the US really woke up to Hey, this would be a great thing to have for doctors when they're prescribing in their workflow, but they needed aggregators like us that could work with all the payers and the PBMs to bring this data to the point of care. And so we worked through some contracting through our health system partners with Epic and Cerner and signed enterprise deals there. And then, you know, things last year have accelerated at kind of typical crazy hockey stick events. You know, if you go back a year ago, we were probably a few thousand doctors in our network. And I'm happy to say today we're 130,000 doctors in our network. And I probably within the next year, we'll be over 200,000. And the speed and scale at which we're reaching doctors now, and we've done about 20 million transactions this year versus last year where maybe we did a few hundred thousand. And so we've really faced some really steep growth. And I think that's incredibly rare for a digital health company to go through what we've had to go through. But it's been super exciting. And that the two-sided market, the payers and PBMs coming to the table, we just announced our relationship with Prime Therapeutics, which is now providing this service for their about 18 blues plans nationally or one of their key vendors doing that. And then Epic and Cerner and other EHRs really adopting the standard and providing cost transparency as part of their native prescribing workflows has really galvanized the industry to move at a pretty fast clip to get these real-time transactions into in front of providers. It's so awesome, Carmen. It's a
0: testament to you and the entire team at RX Review. You have assembled a world-class organization with so many friends of mine personally, but just dedicated and passionate team members there at RX Review and as you mentioned, you're starting to see that adoption and movement in the industry and then you mentioned earlier as well we're starting to see some mandates that are really right in the front view of us coming here shortly for the industry. So with that, Carm, what are you seeing on the horizon? What should our community be thinking of in this space? Where are things heading in the, you know, 6, 9, 12, 18 months? I would typically ask a thought leader like yourself, hey, what's it look like in three to five years? But with the pandemic, the world's changing every day. We don't even know what Monday's going to look like. But what does it look like for our industry with the work you're involved in? Give us that kind of crystal ball time horizon for the next 6, 9, 12, or 18 months.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'd probably point at a couple time horizons in my mind that I kind of think about. I think that probably the next 12 to 18 months is pretty critical in that, you know, most doctors, there's going to be an end zone here where most providers in the U.S., and give or take, you know, that can prescribe, you know, let's say there's a million, maybe a million to, I think in the next... 12 to 18 months, we're going to start to see market saturation of these services. So that means most providers in the U.S., especially outpatient, you know, ambulatory providers are going to have this services in terms of cost transparency. And that's incredibly important. And I think a lot of people underestimate what this means when you think about a transparent world where you know the cost of something before you pay for it. That's a pretty important thing in healthcare, And we really have to get there. I mean, it's kind of, this is a no brainer in terms of really moving the industry in the right direction and giving providers actionable data at the point of care, at the point of prescribing to make really informed decisions. And, and so I think that's the first horizon I'm looking towards is sort of getting the market saturated with these services, making sure every provider in the U.S. has access to cost transparency and make it part of their prescription decision process. I think the second thing is what's really interesting is the expansion beyond pharmacy. And we're getting pushed in this direction where let's price everything, labs, imaging, radiology, other services, and make that available to providers, to patients. That's a really exciting, you know, I think further inflection point. And then, you know, the one the the really further out the three to five vision is really the market moving to value. Once you have transparency, and you know how much something costs, you can compare that to other things that cost other amounts. And then you can make value based decisions. And I think that's the trajectory this industry is headed in. And I think we're really tied to that. I think ultimately, if we're going to live in a value based capitated shared savings world, having these essential services around cost transparency are going to be so important to those relationships and those contracts that providers are really getting into now. So that's really my kind of three phase or three step process to the future of where we're going and where the industry's going.
0: Well, thank you for that, Carm. It's uh, very timely and insightful because you're right. These are the things that are heading this way, whether the uh, incumbent industry likes it or not. And so, you know, to our community, We have so many bright, incredible minds, national thought leaders that are part of Passionate Pioneers and are working with health systems and payer organizations and academic institutions or otherwise. These are the new realities that CARM is sharing with us. These are coming whether we like it or not. We can either be a part of it and help move it forward, or we can get ran over by it. But these are the realities that are happening. We have incredible technologists and innovators just like CARM and Review, pushing it as hard as they can. But these are the new realities because also the person that we're all supposed to be serving, the patient, the consumer are also going to demand this. So these are the new waves. I'm fully bought in. I know it's coming and I know I want to be a part of it as opposed to getting walloped by it. So thank you for sharing that, Carm. Let's flip the script on you just a bit here. You know, yes, you guys are on super growth, hockey stick mode, but we can always use some help. And we have, again, some of the brightest minds in the industry tuning in. What's one problem need or question that you or Rx review currently have or contemplating with that we can be thinking about and helping
1: your team out with? Oh, well, I'd say the first thing is just talent. I mean, you know, we're on a pretty heavy talent hunt right now for real expertise in the space. You know, I think the challenge, so much of what we do is sort of this tricky two-sided market where you really have to understand payers and PBMs and that whole pharmaceutical value chain, but you also have to understand how to thoughtfully get this information to the point of care to providers. And, you know, I think that the big thing is that, and I see it starting to happen, is that we really need a tidal wave change in the way doctors think. I really think that is one of the biggest barriers in that providers need to be willing to change and patients need to understand, you know, their healthcare care better. And so that's really the thing that we've got to get our hands around and really help providers get this information at the point of care and not be so afraid of technology. You know, we live in this weird space where technology and every other industry has driven massive efficiencies and really massive improvements in economies of scale and making things easier. In healthcare, it's on the exact opposite. It's more cumbersome. It's more of a challenge. And I think it's made doctors really technology adverse. And I think we've got to start You know, what I want is really smart entrepreneurs from other industries that have created amazing experiences for consumers or business type applications and bringing that capability to healthcare to help doctors do a better job and really get the technology out of the way so they can make, you know, more informed decisions and really spend that quality time with patients and be more empathetic. And that's, you know, I think something that we all can work on and support.
0: Well, spread the news for our community, spread the news. We need those forward-thinking physicians and providers out there to get with this movement, continue to push it forward. Because again, it is going to come whether we like it or not, but let's just start embracing and working together and challenging each other, figuring out what does work, what doesn't work, you know, iterate, kill things fast if they're not working and continue to push all of this forward for all of us. Because at the end of the day, who is this ultimately going to serve and benefit the person that we should be focusing on every moment of our day, and that's the patient, that's the end consumer. And,
1: and, you know, I think, Mike, the thing here that's so interesting is that, to your point, like, it's coming. I think that, you know, let's just back up a second here. If a health system is going to sort of sit in their fee-for-service mindset, especially after COVID here, that's just a bridge to nowhere, and both in the fact that what, what COVID showed to health systems more than anything is that, if you don't have a resilient system, and in many cases, your own health plan, they absolutely got killed. You know, we saw systems, our partners of big health systems, losing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a month during COVID. And those systems that had their own plan that were moved, that had taken a substantial step towards value, really just had a much better balance sheet, right? Their premiums went up, nobody used their services, but they were able to still collect premiums from their members to balance the losses they were taking on the other side of the house with their hospital and health system. And so I think that's so important. And the second thing that, you know, is really happening here is just think about how this whole market is getting attacked right now. Think about Walmart and Walgreens and CVS on the retail side and Amazon, you know, coming in. Think about Alto and... Nurex and Roman, and how much, you know, there is a war ensuing on the retail front, especially around pharmacy. And if health systems just sort of sit on their hands and say, hey, we're not going to innovate, we're going to move slowly, right? We're going to stay in fee for service. That's not going to work out. (laughs) Um, There's too many people fighting for that consumer experience, fighting for the front door. And whoever owns the front door for consumers into healthcare will own it. Well, um, let me. I think I think most health systems need to wake up to that reality. I couldn't agree more. And let's stay on this because this is stuff
0: I get fired up about. And I'm glad you brought it up. And I have no problems talking about it because another thing that we need to be thinking about is that consumer. You're right, Carmen. These are just the facts. The millennial generation is now the largest voting block in our country and the largest consumer block. And where are the millennials now heading into? Starting families, needing more healthcare resources, going to rely on prescriptions and medications or otherwise, and being a little bit more reliant on the healthcare system writ large. That tidal wave is coming, whether you like it or not. You better wake up to it. You better be ready for it or else, like you said, it will be a bridge to nowhere. So, yeah, now I'm going to jump off my soapbox because, you know, you and I have been friends for years. This is the stuff that gets me incredibly excited. Passionate because I know
1: we can do so much better. Yeah, I I think that when you look at sort of, especially with COVID, the telehealth, what happened in this country in terms of telehealth and that shift in care and really the front door of care. And, you know, I did my first telehealth visit this year and I loved it. I loved the entire experience. It was so much better than the appointment making, going and sitting in an office clinic and then, you know, slowly getting the doctor late, you know. I just got a message, hey, the doctor's ready to see you. And I went right into a video telehealth visit. And it was wonderful. And, you know, I look at companies like Dispatch here in in Colorado that's done a wonderful job where they're just, if you need, as opposed to getting on an ambulance, you just call these, call up Dispatch and they'll come directly to your house. And I look at that and then I look at these great consumer experiences around pharmacy. You know, you look at what Alto's doing or PillPack with Amazon or even GoodRx, it's just going public right now. They're creating phenomenal experiences and so much different and better experiences than what traditional health systems are delivering. And, you know, this is one of the hardest, you know, this is kind of classic, you know, when I think about the Innovator's Dilemma and some of the classic books out there where my fear for health systems is that they're so embedded in fee-for-service and so attached to that model of making money it's going to be very hard for them to make that shift into value and really providing phenomenal patient experiences. And it's slowly, I think a lot of them, their businesses are going to erode because of that. And this game of having one foot in each space, you know, in fee for service and fee for value is incredibly hard. It's just, I'd almost say it's impossible <laughs> because they're very different things and they take very different care models. And I just, question how many of them are going to make that transition successfully and how many are committed to doing it and redesigning their entire care infrastructure to create a consumer-centric experience that's really phenomenal and is as good as, you know, a lot of these startups out there. So it is really coming. I think COVID, if anything, woke up these systems that they can't live on elective surgeries anymore, and they need to drive into value and creating phenomenal experiences for their patients that visit them every day. And I think they can. I mean, if COVID taught us anything, it's just about choices. Like we made a choice for everybody to do telehealth <laughs> and everybody did telehealth. And now, you know, it's pretty much the standard of care. We've not seen systems, not even close. They're kind of one-third, two-thirds, right? One-third virtual, two-thirds in person. And now it's part of the standard care model. And we did that in six months. Yeah. I um, mean, so it's really phenomenal some of the stuff that's coming out of COVID that we're seeing with our health systems and them starting to really make this transition to creating, you know, better consumer-based experiences that are much more approachable. Well, what we'll do
0: is you and I will have a Where Are They Now episode, maybe in another year or so. And we'll uh, yeah. bring this episode back up and stress test some of the ideas that we tossed around on here today and see where things are heading. But I really appreciate all those insights. And again, as Carm mentioned, they're really looking for those innovative physicians and care providers out there that understand this is where we need to go. So in a moment, I'm going to ask Carm where we can get a hold of him and the team, but you can also head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. We'll be able to go ahead and leave some comments, insights, and suggestions for this episode as there will be an entire article listed there for Karm's episode. But with that, Carm, where can we find you online? Where can our community get a hold of you and the team, websites, social media handles,
1: or otherwise? Yeah. So you can always just go to our website to learn more about what we're doing and get in touch with us. That's rxreview.com. So rxreview.com. My Twitter handle is at karmhuntress. I'm also, you can just quickly search for me on LinkedIn and I'm pretty active on there as well. If you want to get in touch around anything we're doing in the cost transparency space.
0: Excellent. We'll include all of those touch points in our episode notes. So in your favorite podcast player, just simply scroll down those contact points for Carm and ARCS Review will be there, as well as over again at passionatepioneers.com, our free global online community. Well, Carm, we're going to start wrapping it up here because I know you have a ton to do today. You are one of the hardest working entrepreneurs out there, and I know you probably have another full slate. But before we get you out of here, I do have a fill in the blank. It's a take this comment and fill
1: in the blank for us. I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because. Every day we try to honor great doctors by giving them great technology to enable them to do the wonderful work they do with patients every day. Brilliant, absolutely
0: brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And Carm, thanks for coming by today, taking a pit stop on our podcast, doing a little bit of blast from the past and sharing how all of this got going and all the wonderful experiences that you and I've had together. But I also want you to know I'm very grateful and thankful for our friendship and everything you've done for so many of us in this industry and know that we're rooting you on. We'll continue to follow the journey. Keep us posted how everything's going. But again, for now, thank you for being with us today. It was a complete pleasure and honor to spend time
1: with you. Mike, thanks so much. It was great to reminisce about the past and where we all started together. And congrats on your success as well. It's been awesome to watch you over the years as well.